Welcome to the podcast of Peace NBC. Our mission is to reach everyone who is someone in the eyes of the Lord. Listen to this mighty word of God that will bless you. We hope you are touched and blessed by this podcast. To connect with this ministry or for more about Peace NBC, visit our website or email us at pmbc at peacembchurch.org. Come grow with Come peace. Grow with Come peace. Grow with Father and our King, Lord God, Sovereign, Father, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that has allowed us to have life today. Father, your hand has been upon us all week and has brought us to this moment. Our God, we, your people who are battered, who have been battered, who are weary, who have been worn through the trials of life, Father, we stand here anticipating a word from so God we pray that you would speak to us Father speak your word in our hearts God speak until our perspective changes speak until happiness comes our portion speak Lord until the burden that's on our shoulders is lifted speak until we can move freer in your presence God we ask that you speak Father, we pray that not only will you speak, God, but that we will respond. Father, we pray that you give us the urgency to respond to your word. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would silence the voice of the enemy even now. Father, that would come to distract us, that would come to take away your word, that would come to distort what you are saying. Father, we pray that your presence would be in this place. Now, God, we ask, Lord, that these that are listening, Father, open up our ears. Father, open up our minds. Father, open up our hearts and pour into us the bread of life. Now, Father, I pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And every glad heart says, amen. All right. Right. Well, I'm happy to see all of you all this morning. I'm thankful that you all have decided to come bless the Lord this morning. For truly, it is all about Jesus. I want to thank our musicians for playing this morning. They did a tremendous job. Can we give them a hand? Amen. Choir did a wonderful job ushering in the presence of the Lord. We are thankful to all of our officers, to all of those who are serving in the Lord's house. We thank God for you and to you, the people of God. We appreciate you because truly we wouldn't be us without a people. Amen. Uh, like Deacon Bailey, it's good to see Sister Tucker this morning. I um, often text her and just let her know that I'm have her on my mind. Sometimes it's good to know that people are thinking about you. But I always say it's, it's good that I know you're thinking about me. Because truly we think about people and unfortunately they will never know that we have them on our minds. Recovery can often feel worse than an injury. I had the unfortunate pleasure of breaking my femur. Right here I have a rod going all the way up my leg. 
two screws and I did put two screws above my knee. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I didn't feel it break. I never knew that I had broken my leg, but here's what I did know. I had surgery. Once I had surgery, I felt it. Uh, surgery was designed to help put this thing together so that I could heal. And unfortunately, what I learned through that process is that recovery can be painful. Uh, having to learn to walk again was painful. Having to learn how to function and do things that I, could, I used to be able to do was painful. And I've learned that our path to recovery is often riddled with challenges. We face setbacks when we're trying to recover. Remember the doctor telling me it will only take you a couple of months. Well, those couple of months, which was about three, turned into eight because I had some complications in recovery. What I've discovered is that not only can recovery be painful, but recovery will make you want to quit. So this morning I stand to encourage you that God indeed has a remedy for our pain. He has a pathway to leave the shadows of despair and to truly allow us to be healed and made whole. Our text this morning is coming from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, the 119th chapter and the 71st verse. Psalm 119 and verse 71. I would ask that we stand in reverence to the word of the Lord. And as we have created our custom, we would read this all together. It is on your screen. It may be on your device. Or if you're like me, it's on this paper Bible that you hold in your hand. Psalm 119 and verse 71, altogether, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Do me a favor, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, our topic is a painful recovery. A painful recovery. The book of Psalms is probably the first book many of us are introduced to. If you were like me, you grew up hearing the 23rd Psalm specifically. Grandmothers would sit us down and read it in many of our homes, that big paper Bible, the big Bible. Y'all know with the white cover. We sat on the table. It would collect dust, but you couldn't touch it. But it would be turned to the 23rd Psalm. The word psalms literally means praises or songs of praise. That word in the Hebrew is telehim. And what we learn as we read through the book of psalms, we are reading songs that David wrote as he went through various trials. I've learned that a lot of artists write songs that come from a place of personal experience. Some of our favorite jigs, as we like to call them, come from somebody else's pain. Uh, they come from somebody else's misery. They come from a place where they are trying to convey the story of how they felt in a particular season. 
This is what we're reading when we read the book of Psalms. David is writing to us. And as he's writing, he's showing us what it really looks like to love God. He lets us know that loving God sometimes hurts us. Loving God sometimes means that we have to separate from people. Loving God sometimes looks like we're going to have to walk away from those that we love. And as we go through the book of Psalms, our text this morning leads us to Psalms 119. Psalms 119 is a rather interesting text because it is the longest chapter in the Bible. And if you turn to Psalms in your Bible, you will notice that every eight verses is followed or preceded by a very strange word. It's preceded by a very strange word. Brothers and sisters, these strange words are not actually strange. They're just foreign to us. These strange words are letters of the Hebrew alphabet. As I'm looking at my Bible, I see letters like Bet, uh, words like Zion, words like Gemel. But at the beginning of Psalms, there is, for example, a word Aleph, A-L-E-P-H. This word is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It is signified or shown to us as the image of an ox. Uh, this image represents power, it represents leadership, it represents order. And what we learn as you study Hebrew culture is that the ox is the most powerful animal to them. It pulled their carts. It was not only a puller of carts, it was not only a, mechan a mechanism of transportation, but it was also uh, something that they used to be provided for. It was a substance, it was a provision of meat for them. It also provided them with leather. The reason I bring this up is because what we learn from these Hebrew letters is that these Hebrew letters are actually telling us functions of God. For example, God is our provider. God is our source of strength. God is truly our Aleph. As a matter of fact, when we say words like Elohim, what we are saying is the source of our power. We are saying that God is truly our source of power. David writes in this particular chapter, he writes it in what is called an acrostic pattern. An acrostic pattern, meaning that this acrostic pattern or, or an acrostic poem is when certain letters are lined up and they spell out a particular thing. All of Psalms is spelling out for you and I that God is the source of everything we need. It is letting us know that only in God will we find true provision. Now, as we look through this particular chapter, there are eight words that are repeated over and over. Throughout this chapter, all of these words have to do with the word of God. You'll see words like word, law, statutes, commandments, judgments, precepts, testimonies, thy or his ways. All of these are synonyms that simply stand for the word of God revealed to man. Throughout all of David's trials, 
what David is trying to communicate to us in this chapter is that all he had was the word. He was persecuted by Saul. He was betrayed by Absalom. And if we say this next thing, which is he had an affair by Bathsheba, we'd have to confess that sometimes our affliction comes because we sin. Not only was he persecuted, not only was he betrayed, but he had to run for his life. Not only did he have to run, but David was known as a man of war because he fought many wars because he had many enemies. But through all that David endured, he says, it was good that I had been afflicted. How is it that David can go through all that he went through? What type of pain? Is it when your own children conspire to get rid of you? What type of pain when your own father-in-law is trying to murder you? What type of torment do you think David went through? But when David sat down, and he weighed what he had gone through. His response was, it was good that I had been afflicted. Brothers and sisters, if you live long enough, in this life you will endure many different types of affliction. Uh, yeah, yeah, you'll experience things like physical affliction. Some of us, as we sit here, are dealing with some physical afflictions. There are physical afflictions like asthma, cancer, high blood pressure, diabetes. We all know what some physical afflictions are. You will undoubtedly go through some financial afflictions. Now, if you don't believe me, just go with me if you will. Some of us have faced the unfortunate moment when we go to the store. We have shopped, we have filled our basket to the brim. We get to the register, we give the clerk our card or put it in the machine. And this polite person on the other side says very loudly, your card has been declined. That, my brothers and sisters, is a financial affliction. You may also face some social afflictions. Deacon Bailey alluded to it earlier that up until yesterday evening or last night, the country was trying to figure out whether or not the government was going to shut down. And whenever the government shut down, shuts down, it's not just Washington, D.C. that stops moving. Uh, people's Medicare and Medicaid stops flowing. Uh, certain provisions of eating for families stops flowing. People's jobs stop there's real tangible things that happen when the government shuts down. And when that happens, there are some afflictions that happen to us. There are other afflictions that are social, like, for example, war, or when you happen to be labeled the black sheep of your family. That's a social affliction. But there's another type of affliction. There's another type of affliction that is deadly that often goes undetected and that you cannot see. That particular type of affliction is mental affliction. 
The mental affliction is the type of affliction that affects your mind. One of the most common forms of mental affliction is depression. Depression is seen when you have persistent feelings of sadness. Nobody said anything to you. Nobody hurt you physically, but you are just sad. You weren't thinking about anything, but there's a deep, overwhelming sense of sadness that comes over you. That, my brothers and sisters, is an example of a mental affliction. But what's dangerous about this particular type of affliction is we can't see it. If we be honest, some of us in here knows what it's like to have dealt with or we are dealing with mental affliction. How, 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 how do you know? Well, I know because you might be smiling. But deep down inside, on the other side of your smile, there are tormenting and negative thoughts that run through your mind every second of the day. Uh, you, 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 you might be laughing. Somebody might tell a joke and you laugh uncontrollably, but the reality is your life is in shambles and your mind is telling you, why don't you quit? It's a mental some of us have gotten so good at dealing with our mental affliction, we carry on as normal. We, we, we've learned how to fake the funk. We, we, we've learned how to endure dealing with life, feeling as though nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody knows the tears that I cry at night. Nobody knows how I have to rock myself to sleep in the corner because in my mind, I'm ready to quit. But when I leave the house, all good, everything's peachy. This, my brothers and sisters, is a mental affliction. Brothers and sisters, what we learn from the Psalms is one of two things, that through the tenor and the tone of how the book of Psalms is written, that David is either crazy or David is dealing with some mental afflictions. Now, why would I say that? I say that because who in the world looks at all they have gone through and their response to tragedy it's not tears, it's not crying, but the response is, it was good for me. You mean to tell me losing what you love is good for me? I believe David saw through what he was going through, and he saw something. But David, brothers and sisters, is not the only one who's dealt with mental affliction. As a matter of fact, his father-in-law Saul dealt with mental affliction. The Bible says there was an evil spirit that would come upon him and torment him. Saul is not the only individual. If Job were to stand here and testify, Job would tell you that he had experienced so much loss that it even caused him to question the purpose of his life. 
Job is not the only one who would stand up in testimony service because Elijah would stand up too. Elijah would probably be sitting somewhere over there in the back. And what Elijah would stand up and say is, I too know what it's like to have mental affliction because I asked God to take my life. Uh, but not only would Elijah stand up, Nebuchadnezzar would be sitting right over there. And by the time Elijah got done, Nebuchadnezzar would stand up. Nebuchadnezzar would stand up and say, man, I've had some dreams that have driven me crazy so much so that I've lost my mind and now I'm acting like an animal. Mental affliction. It's not just limited to, to these brothers. Just like some of these men, some of us in here have the same testimony. Who can say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. I know I look good. I know I put up a good game. But I'm dealing with some mental affliction. What I've learned is that when you are dealing with mental affliction, you slide into a state called trauma. Trauma, brothers and sisters, is caused by unprocessed life events. It's when you have gotten good at finding a catacomb in your brain to hide what you've gone through. You've dug the hole so deep that you don't even want to work up the strength to go find out when you were hurt. But what I've learned is no matter how deep you dig it, no matter how far you hide it, there are some triggers that come along every once in a while. And you will find yourself acting out of a place of trauma. Uh, trauma is defined, brothers and sisters, as the type of response you give to a particular type of affliction. If I were a psychologist standing here, I would tell you that there are three types of trauma. The first type of trauma is called acute trauma. Acute trauma is a piece of trauma or type of trauma that comes from a single event. Now, I'll give you an example of that. Most people, if you talk to me, you learn I do not like tomatoes. But I'll tell you why. Never forget, I was in the great city of New York. I was at my uncle and aunt's house sitting on the floor. We had just gone to Burger King. I had a nice triple stack Whopper, extra cheese, ketchup, lettuce, tomato, the works. Now I'm sitting there, I had to be eight or nine, because how you know I'm, 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 I'm in recovery. Uh, about eight or nine, and I take a bite out of this burger, and the flavors are going through my mouth, and I'm tasting this tomato, because you know tomatoes have that cool, refreshing type, you know, when you're eating a burger. And the tomatoes on my tongue, and I look up over the rim of my glasses, and a rat the size of an American football is looking at me. I have not eaten a tomato since. Now, in fairness, what I mean by not eating a tomato is a sliced tomato. Now, I, I, God is working on me. I eat diced tomatoes. I eat ketchup. You know, I'm coming along. I eat salsa. But if you put a whole tomato in front of me, God ain't delivered me yet. He just ain't delivered me yet. That is acute trauma. There is another type of trauma called chronic trauma. Chronic trauma is, for example, a child is excited about the grades that they have gotten in school. 
They come home, run in the house to the mother or their father. The mother or their father is on the phone, takes the report card, slams it down, and shoes away the child. The next time the child is excited about their grades because they've done better than the time they did before, run in the house, the parent takes the report card, slams it down, shoes the child away. This happens over and over and over down through the years. This is chronic trauma. Then there are, then there's another form of trauma called complex trauma. Now, if you experience complex trauma, complex trauma, you're either in a bad season or you have a really bad day. Give you an example. You get this new car, pull fresh off the lot, get in a wreck. A couple weeks later, after you get your car fixed, that same car gets repossessed. Not only does that same car get repossessed, but then you got to try to fight to get it back. When you get the car back, then you get kicked out of your house because the money that you would have spent on the car, on the house, went to the car. Now you are just traumatized because you've gone through a series of events that have now shaped your perspective. But trauma doesn't have to be in a chaotic environment. Give you an example because trauma can come in peaceful environments. How many of you know that you can be traumatized in church? You can come in church and you can expect to see joy and expect to be greeted with love and compassion and care. Or you hope that you would confide in a brother or a sister only to find out what you have said is all over the church. That is another form of trauma. And what happens is we never really deal with these things. We just sweep them under the rug. We just become calloused and we develop certain perspectives about our brothers and our sisters. We have certain perspectives about things when they go wrong. For example, if you have a bad experience with the bank, you don't keep banking with them. You just leave. And what trauma has a habit of doing is causing us to run instead of facing our pain. Trauma, when it is endured over and over, can change your DNA. You don't believe me? Go home and research. You'll find out that trauma has a way of taking a completely normal person and changing who they are. Trauma, brothers and sisters, has this habit of taking a talkative person like me and I completely shut down. I've learned that some people are traumatized even through drugs. They have a bad drug. Changes their ability to function normally. And because they've never necessarily dealt with it, or for example, a person who's experienced child abuse, locks themselves in a place where they revert back to that state in which they were when they were traumatized. Do you know what's most dangerous about unprocessed trauma? 
Not the fact that it just changes our DNA. But when it changes our DNA, it goes to our children. So now because you never dealt with your pain, your children now have a social development problem. Because you never started talking again. Now your child doesn't want to talk. Now you're trying to figure out why is it that my child doesn't like me. It's genetic. And what we are doing is we are not dealing with where we've been hurt. We learn how to cope. We learn how to get by, and what happens is we, 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 this is how we learn how to cope. Y'all know we at the family function. It's time to go for us. It's just getting started for them. But something in our mind says, you got to get out of here. And so you pack up your stuff and you leave. Then you want to know why your child doesn't want to be around the family. Because you have passed down trauma. Brothers and sisters, David writes to us lets us know that the only way I've been able to deal with what I'm going through is I had to learn God's law. David had to learn how to create a safe space. And it's important, brothers and sisters, that we create safe spaces. A safe space is a place for us where we can examine the past. We can look at what we've gone through and see how has this impacted us. I've learned, brothers and sisters, that the safest place in the whole wide world is in the will of God. Now, the will of God is the word of God, for we cannot understand what God's will is if we do not know what God's word says. I just stopped by this morning to encourage the church that God has given us a remedy to heal all of our trauma. Stop by to let you know that God's law is the answer. And I know we don't like hearing the word law. Because for us, law means that there must be some correction to our behavior. Uh, that, 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 that this word law for us means that we now have to let go of our habits and let go of what we like. But David says, brothers and sisters, it was good for me that I had been afflicted. Uh, why? Because if I'm afflicted, I'm not going to run to my mother or to my father. But it was good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn thy statutes. Webster's brothers and sisters defines a statute. 
as a law. And I've stopped by to let you know that his law is the answer to heal your affliction. It is his law that allows you to overcome the pain that you have endured. His law is the answer to calm the chaotic thoughts in your mind. It is the answer that eases the negative thoughts you feel around people. It is the solution to solve our self-destructive and self-depreciative ways. I'm getting ready to go, but I want you to know that his law is the answer. But his law is his word. Uh, his word tells the believer how we ought to live. The government does not provide a moral compass for us. Society doesn't have to tell us how we ought to behave. Our friends can dictate who we should be. I know we like to think that we are past the law. I know sometimes we look at the Bible and we'll say that this Bible is old and antiquated. Huh? But brothers and sisters, we are never past God's law. Uh, we can't outrun the word of God. Uh, his law doesn't get stale. It never goes out of style. I heard the writer of Hebrews say, for the word of God is living and active. That means that the word of God, it's not dead, but it is alive. That the word of God, it moves and it changes. How do you know? Because the verse says it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the spirit and the soul of both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. David says, it was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy law. The reason why he says it is because as I learned the law, the law will show me where I need to heal. As I read God's word, his word will show me that what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with, it won't last forever. Because in the law, it tells us how to treat our neighbors right. In the law, it tells us that we ought not be liars. It tells us that we ought not be thieves. It tells us that we ought to be givers and not just takers. So David says, I've learned that his law is the goodness that I need. We love to say that only God can judge us. But his word provides the rubric by which our character is examined. You can't get mad when somebody says that you are unholy. Because his law provides the standard by which we deem holy. Now, you don't get to say what's right and what's wrong. 
but the right and wrong for us comes from the word of God. But David asked the Lord in this same chapter we're in, in Psalms 119 and 18, he says, Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things things from your law. In other words, David says, Lord, take the scales off mine eyes so that I might see how you want me to live. The law will show you how you ought to walk. The law will show you how you ought to perform and how you ought to behave. It'll show you that his law is the standard for the believer. Now, I don't get my rules from the world, but if I want to know what's holy, I'm going to come to the word of God. I love my pastor, but the word is more important because the word is the voice of God that I need to abide by. And we've gotten in trouble because we lean on smooth sayings. We've leaned on the words of men. But I heard David say that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why is the word important? Because the word is the revealer of the heart and mind of God. If you want to know how God feels, you ought to read God's word. We got to stop saying God understands. If it ain't in his word, then he doesn't understand. We got to stop saying he knows because if it ain't in his word, then knowing ain't the same as testifying. It was good, David said, that I might be a Afflicted. But why did David say this? How could David say what he said after all he had been through? Well, he says, uh, he gives us the answer in Psalms 107 and 20. He said he sent his word and healed them and delivered them them from their destructions. David let us know that God gave us the word and the word heals us. If you want to overcome whatever you're going through, you've got to receive the word that the Lord has sent you. Not only does it heal, but the word is a deliverer. I believe that when David was afflicted, he was reminded that the same word that healed him is the same word that he hid in his heart. For it was David who said that thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word was there to guide him. But I want you to know that David got it right. For it was the word that was sent. How do we know? Because he said in his word, John said that the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the father that same word was sent to be a deliverer how do you know that he was sent to deliver because I heard the Bible say wherefore when he cometh into the world he said sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not but a body thou hast prepared me in other words I came to be a sacrifice how do we know because Matthew 1 and 21 says and she shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins that means that Jesus came to save you out of your bondage he came to deliver he came to bring you out but you can only get Jesus if you hear God's word you can't get Jesus if you just sit in the church but you've got to have the word down on the inside Isaiah said it this way but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Every lie we told, Jesus was smitten, but he took the whooping and healed us. David said, it is, it was good for me that I was afflicted. I want you to know that your affliction is working for your good. Everything you've lost is working for your good. Is there anybody here that can say like David said, it didn't kill me, so it had to be for my good. It was good that I was physically sick because if I wasn't sick, then I wouldn't know he's a healer. It was good that I was broke because if I was never broke I've never known God can fill my pocket it was good that my heart was broken because I never known what a restored heart would ever look like David is trying to tell us that only God can heal you can call any doctor but the doctor is not the healer the healer is Jesus. The healer is the master. The healer is the word of the Lord. He said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Healing is in the word of the Lord. If you don't believe me, ask the centurion in Matthew chapter chapter 8 and verse 8 but the centurion replied Lord I am not worthy to have you 
come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. Somebody say, Lord, say the word. Send the word to my mind. I need your word. Send it to my marriage. Send it to my family. Send it on my job, because only the word is going to heal it. I got a feeling that that everything is going to be all right. Why? Because God has given me a word. Just do me a favor. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I want to tell you what God said. The word is better. The word is better. My family is going to be better. My marriage is going to be better better. My job is going to get better. My health is going to get better. Somebody say, Lord, send your word. I got a feeling. That everything's going to be all right. I, I got that feeling. That is going to work out for me. I got that feeling that it's going to get better. Is there anybody here that believes God that it's going to get better? Now, I got a feeling. That everything is going to be all right. They used to. They used to sing that song. I got a feeling that everything's going to be all right. Peace NBC Podcast. Podcast. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We hope you were touched and blessed by what you have heard. Remember to follow us on social media. For more info about Peace NBC, visit us at www.peacenbchurch.org. If you would like to support this ministry and help us reach more souls, visit our website and click Give into this ministry. Be blessed, and we will see you next time.